0: I'm Danica Warburton, and I'm curious about how people, successful ones, live their lives. I think there's lessons that we can learn from everyone, so I'm asking a bunch of entrepreneurs how to live. My guest today is Simon Catt, founder of Arlington Group Asset Management, which is a London-based firm. And Simon himself has originated over £3 billion worth of deals over his career. Simon, lovely to see you. How are you?
1: Danica, good morning. Nice to be here. This is my first ever podcast. I'm excited.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess to give people some background, what is it that your parents would say that you do?
1: Hmm, what did my parents say. You know what, I'll I'll give you another answer. Um, not my parents, but I remember when I um first met my my wife, um she asked me the same question. She said, What do you do? And uh I said, I'm in sales. She said, Oh, I'm in sales as well and we left it at that and that she didn't know, actually know that we then got together, been together eight years, had a couple of kids and it it's only about five years later she came back and heard me talking about what I did with people at dinner she said, I didn't know that's what you did. Um, because I'm, you know, I am in sales and uh, from the point of view that I, I sell securities to people, but um, actually it's a little bit more nuanced than that.
0: hmm And so uh, you're in capital markets then, I mm. guess, to put it broadly. What influenced you to get into capital markets? Did you always want to be in that field?
1: So my grandfather was a wonderful old gentleman named Louis Goldman. Mm. And when we used to go and stay at Granny's house in South Perth, uh, Grandpa used to get up in the morning and disappear at about 9 o'clock in the morning. And he used to go to work, in inverted commas. And I think what that meant was he got on the ferry and crossed from South Perth into Perth City, and he went and saw his stockbroker and his lawyer and his property guy. And we didn't really know what Grandpa did, except that he went off to work uh, and just disappeared for a few hours. But he didn't actually have a job. He was he was just tending to his investments, um, and anyway, Grandpa, he, he, I used to ask him what he did and where he used to go, and he started to teach me about the stock market, and um, and I was always fascinated about that. And so it was it was an interest, a spark that started with discussions with my Grandpa about what he did.
0: Do you remember what he was investing in?
1: Yeah, you know, when he died, um, we found the answer to that, and we never knew that he had nearly as many investments as he had. And he had property spread around Perth, including the house where we used to go and visit and that they lived. It was the only house left in the high-rise apartments that line the South Perth foreshore. It was the only house nestled in between these 30-story apartment Mm -hmm. blocks on either side. So he always believed in investing in location, location, location for property. But the shares he used to invest in, uh, they were – The mining companies, the same ones that as Australians we've all heard of, um, BHP, the world's largest mining company, Western Mining Corporation, which was bought by BHP, and uh, another more infamous one, Bond Corporation, which by the time we opened up the safety deposit box, that wasn't worth anything. But there was actually millions of dollars worth of BHP and Western Mining, which he was a very frugal man. Uh, They used to collect the milk, the foil uh, milk, tops that come off of a milk bottle that used to be what my brother and I used to play with in in the spare room there was like gigantic garbage bags full of foil milk bottle tops and they collected them for 60 years that they never threw anything away grandpa used to when I gave my clothes away grandpa recycled my my old shoes as I grew out of them as a 16 year old he wore them um so um he collected a lot of shares, BHP Western Mining being the most important.
0: Mm, that would have been a um, wonderful parting gift uh, and a wonderful surprise in amongst all the the milk top bottles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it was actually it was really important for my parents. It enabled them because they had gone um, bankrupt through their. It was in the in the mid eighties. Their their business, which was making furniture, had gone bankrupt and. So it was actually a, a very lucky boon to them that Grandpa died, and he left his assets equally between my mum and her sister and um, and my grandmother uh, so that enabled them to get a start and to to get on the uh, the property ladder through the, uh, the super cycle, uh, which was a good thing to do in West Australia. And, and so they managed to become independently financially uh, comfortable after that.
0: Mm. So you've been in um, capital markets for about 30 years almost. You've no doubt seen some pretty interesting things in that time. What have you learned about people?
1: I think that Warren Buffett says that people, you have to be Greedy when others fearful, and fearful when others are greedy. And I, I think the that the capital markets are really the study of human behavior, and and understanding how human emotion is priced in and risk is priced. So I, I think what you learn about people is how they react to emotional stress and how that manifests itself in in um in the in their behavior in. In, in chasing financial wealth through capital markets.
0: Absolutely. It's fascinating. So um, what do you look for when you're considering an investment personally?
1: Hmm. You know, I've made so many mistakes and lost so many fortunes. Um, I think it's easier to make money and harder to hang on to it. Um, you know, the, uh, I, I think the most important... Well not the the equal most important thing in uh, evaluating an investment is the price that you buy into the investment at and the people that are then running that company or administering that asset those i think you know the, and and of course the the asset itself so when when we think about an investment, it starts with the quality of the asset, then you have to make sure you're buying it at the right price and then you have to make sure that the, the management team, the people that are actually extracting value from that that their interests are aligned with yours and that they know what they're doing
0: mm. and when you say that it's easier to make money than to hold on to it, is that because once you've made money, you always want to make more so you you just don't you don't want to put it into something conservative you actually want to go okay let's let's keep going or is it more your background in Mining and and having a having more of a risk tolerance.
1: Yeah, um, I would say it's. It, yeah, I think the cyclicality of the stock market and of the commodity cycle are really important answers to that question. Uh, that you you have to remember. You know, there's a saying that you rent you rent commodity stocks, you don't own them. <laughs> you know, th- this is not you don't if we could go back in time, we could all buy Apple after the dot-com crash of 1999-2000. That would have probably been the best thing we could all have done with our money. Um, and, and maybe today or, or in the last year or so, um, that those companies would have been sales. So maybe you should have held, the, held those, the Microsofts and the Apples, the Amazons, the biggest, the biggest, most valuable companies in the world today. Maybe we should have all bought those and held those 20 years ago. But... Without actually having knowing what the what the return on BHP is over twenty years, I would suggest that you, you wanted to try and time the cycle. So my my ve- my investment instincts have always been cyclical, um, which is you know. And over time, I think uh, I try and take Warren Buffett try and take Warren Buffett's advice, which is, you know, you when you buy into a company, like imagine that you're going to own it for ten years
0: mm-hmm. rather
1: than. Sell it tomorrow because it's gone up ten percent.
0: Mm-hmm. So long term rather than short term trading. Well, it's you... it's
1: the combination of both. It's it's um it's trying to hold on to your winners, which is not easy if they've gone up two or three times, but also to remember to sell them because you know and and to try and evaluate when all of the good news that you think that you know about is in the price, and then if you're early into the investment, the challenge is that other people might only just becoming aware of what you think you know. So you have to try and Mm. put yourself in the heads of the rest of the world.
0: Mm. I never know when to sell. (laughs) I just buy and hang on to them, and then they go up, and then they come back down. I'm like, oh, should have sold.
1: Tesla is an interesting example, right? uh, Elon Musk is always in the news, buying Twitter this week. Um,
0: Mm. You
1: know, I talked to my son Oliver, who also invests um, because he – he listens to me talk about investment, and, and we've had a, a, a phantom portfolio, more recently an actual portfolio for Oliver, who's 16, for about the last eight years or so. And so we used to go down to the um, in the Westfield Shopping Centre in Shepherd's Bush, which is 15 minutes in a taxi from my house in Malibu in London. So you go down to the Westfield Shopping Centre, and we watch a movie. We have some lunch, and invariably we go to the Tesla showroom. And Ollie would, Ollie and I would love sitting in the Tesla and playing with it. And we talk to the people about, you know, the uh, the car and what it does and how you can charge it for twelve cents. And and uh, we even, I even humoured Ollie and his friend one day. We took it for a test drive. I wasn't planning to buy a Tesla, but just for fun, we took it for a test drive, and it was amazing. And after that, Ollie said, "Dad, I want to buy some Tesla." And she said, okay, well, let's have a think about that. This is, amazing. This, is this is like five five or so years ago. Uh, and uh, so let's have a think about that. Let's look at Tesla. Let's see how many cars they produce. They were producing ten or 20,000 cars a year at that time. Uh, and I said, well, let's compare it to Volkswagen. Volkswagen, one of the world's largest car makers, they make about 10 million cars a year. Let's look at the relative valuation of Tesla and Volkswagen. Volkswagen having just suffered from dieselgate was down by 30 percent or so and I talked Oliver out of buying Tesla and into buying Volkswagen so he so <laughs> he, so he did that and we made 10 15 percent or something on buying some Volkswagen shares and and then we both watched Tesla go up about 10 times over the last five or so tins. years and so <laughs> if you ask Ollie what's the number one What's the number one investment lesson you've, you've learned? He said, don't trust dad. <laughs> Correct, Ollie. And, and anything else? He said, got to do your own work. Got mm. to do your own work. Don't listen to what other Have people tell conviction. you. Have your own <laughs> conviction and stick with them. And actually, you know what? He, a couple of years ago, he, we, 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 I set him down and we do our homework together. He comes to my office and we go and analyze some shares and we really had to read a balance sheet and a profit and loss. And he decided he wanted to buy some Apple computer and he was right.
0: He sounds brilliant. He's going to he's maybe my, take over the firm. He's
1: much more sensible than I am, yeah.
0: So uh, talking about Arlington, mm. your model seems to be that you take a stake in a company, get actively involved in making it a success. Mm. Um, has there ever been a time where you've thought, shit, i really stuffed up here and I'm mm. not sure how I'm going to recover?
1: Yes. I'm in the middle of one of those at the moment. I'm not going to give you the name because it's okay. a listed company. Um, and uh, yeah, at the moment, I'm you know, I've got, uh, and Arlington has many millions of dollars invested in this company, in this asset, and I'm trying to evaluate whether we should throw good money after bad. Whether the those three things that we spoke about, the, you know, the my starting point is I love the asset, the, um, the. The two questions which I'm trying to answer right now is what do we think about management and the capability to unlock the value of that asset, and then in terms of the capital structure and therefore the valuation, the question is how much more money and time will this asset need to uh, uh, to blossom to exhibit its full value, and I'm trying to answer that in a short in a short time at the moment. So some and and I find also I have a different I have a different perspective. Depending on my emotional state of mind, I have you know have my optimistic state of mind, and you know I don't know if you find this, Danica, but if I'm rested and energized, and I've been to the gym or I've gone for a run, I'm an op- I'm optimistic and happy. And if I'm short of sleep and and uh, I'm I'm feeling a little bit down, then the answer might be a different answer. So then that's back to this point that. As a human being, you you assess these investment concepts through the prism of your own prejudice and experience, and and your emotional state of mind, which itself varies on the day.
0: Mm. So you say everything goes badly; mm. you're down to your last ten dollars. Mm. How how would you spend it or invest it?
1: Oh, that's easy. I I just invite my family and maybe a couple of close friends out to to dinner or lunch and leverage
0: it somehow and just. <laughs>
1: It reminds Get me, them
0: so,
1: to pay. <laughs> so I don't know. Do you remember the um, the global financial crisis? Yes. Uh, so I I was at that time uh, running a uh, investment bank. It was a Canadian investment bank named GMP, uh, and we had an office on Albemarle Street in in London, which is. Well,
0: we worked there together. I worked in the Perth office.
1: Exactly. You worked in the Perth office, and I was in uh, I was in London office, and it was a small office, and my CEO. Mm-hmm. Who, who's become a dear friend uh, was over visiting from Canada, and the S and P. That the night that we're all sitting around the office, uh, and we had a we had a dinner plan that evening to to have the London office and our Canadian CEO go out to have the dinner. The S and P that that night opened down nine percent, and uh, we sat there in the office until market close, and um, and they looked at each other and thought, wow, the, uh, tomorrow there may be no, no business. We might not even need to come to work tomorrow. So uh, what do we do? We said, well, let's go out and have a really nice dinner and order a really nice bottle of wine because we've got no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The, the financial world as we know it may have ended. But hell, let's park that. Let's not worry about it. Let's just go and enjoy ourselves. So that's, if I had that for my last $10, I've got to have a really nice bottle of wine yeah. with some friends and family and have a nice meal.
0: Yeah. Well, they say there's no point worrying about things you can't control. Exactly. So so you touched on this before saying, you know, when you're in a rested state, you feel great and and you do, you have a really punishing, you know, work, travel, fitness, family uh, schedule. What's the key to not burning out for you and getting too stressed?
1: Uh, That's easy. Uh, It is not worrying about the stuff you can't control um asking yourself every day what you're doing and making sure that that day you're doing exactly what you want to be doing and if you're not doing it don't do it so don't don't do what you think other people want you to do do what you actually want to do and make sure that you make time every day I do and my meditation time is is actually the same as my exercise time so for an hour or two every day I make sure that I have time to exercise and that's when I meditate and reflect and I find that the answers to the problems that are in my head, you know, the the issues of the day, whatever they may be, it might be an investment, it might be a family situation, it might be somebody I'm trying to help, they they come to me at that time. And so for me, you've got to carve out an hour or two each day for yourself so that you can make sure that you're doing what you want to do and and get your head straight on your priorities for that day.
0: mm I agree. I think if you're not having fun, then what's the point? You know, you've always got to be able to have some sort of fun element in it, even if it's like the people that you choose to work with. Mm. Um, I think it's really important to protect your energy. And if someone's depleting you,
1: Mm. then... Choose not to
0: work with those people if you can.
1: Yeah, because if you're not physically and mentally robust, then you you can't help other people. You can't do whatever it is that that you're trying to do. So you've got to make Mm. yourself whole first, yeah.
0: And I know that you're a a bit of a fan of swimming in freezing water. Oh, I
1: love that. Mm.
0: (laughs) Is there anything else that you do that makes you feel alive and, and motivated?
1: Yeah, my favorite things to do, I mean, th- let's put exercise and well-being into one bucket, so that's, that's a starting point. You have mm-hmm. to start with that foundation. Uh, what I I used to think that that I got my most pleasure out of working hard and partying hard in my 20s and 30s, and I'm now 50 years of age, Janica. Um, and you know what? The things that I most enjoy these days... Uh, when I think really hard about what it is that gives me the most pleasure, it's spending time with my children. Yeah. And so these days, you know, I make sure wherever possible when I'm in town, I'm not traveling that I, uh, I tell our nanny, I'm taking the kids to school and uh, I'll take my two and my four-year-old, walk across Marlebone to their French school on the other side of Marlebone and then walk from there into my office in Mayfair. So, and make sure I'm home for, for story time. Yeah. We have so much fun reading stories. Uh, so that, yeah, it's spending time with my children and my family.
0: Yeah. And on that, I guess, sort of tying into the legacy element, if you could, uh, if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Hmm
1: same thing uh, it would be being a great father uh, and helping helping people and communities that have less that that started with you know I, I I think that probably you and I and most people that we know we're in the Lucky Sperm Club we come from great families in great countries and cities we, we have great friends and you know every day I think uh, I think about you know I, I was in uh, on a train platform in in uh dresden I way to berlin airport a month ago and i there was a young lady there struggling up the stairs with a bag and she said hey can you help me i said sure and we we helped her lift her bag up to the platform and it was one of those refugees stripy hessian sack bags mm-hmm. and i said you look like you've got a lot of stuff in there where where are you coming to and going from and she said oh, i've just um i'm from ukraine i uh, oh. i've just come from eastern ukraine and i said wow um and your family are back there still some of them I suppose she said yeah uh yeah they are and uh and Russia's using chemical weapons so i i think about how lucky i am each day and um so i th- i think as well as being a great father then i would like to make a difference for for people that don't have as much and uh, start with much a much less advantaged life. So I don't know exactly what that means yet in terms of which communities specifically. I mean, I work with different charities, hope out at the local food bank and things, but uh, there's a uh, there's a bigger calling uh, in the back of my mind. I'm still working that out. Mm.
0: Shifting gears a bit, What what do you think the world's going to look like in five years versus what do you think the world's going to look like in 50 years?
1: Uh, 50 years? I've got no idea. I'll be a hundred and, I mean, I think, I think... Well,
0: you've only been here for 50 years. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think, uh, I think we'll, you know, I think we'll all live longer and be healthier. And I'm assuming that modern medicine will come up with new body parts and things. So instead of having to wear glasses, I'll have some new eyes, for example, which would be great because glasses are a pain. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think we all, uh, Think about things like climate change and what will that mean this this planet that we're unsustainably using what does that mean in terms of its longevity and our, all of our longevity uh, I, I think we're all right to be concerned about things like um, the overuse of finite resources and how can we do that more sustainably uh, I think that's important um, so that that's on the very long term I, I don't have any answers about what the world looks like in 50 years time uh, in terms of the five-year horizon I think we we are going to become more national. Um, we are going to be more concerned about rather than the globalization. I think we have this retreat from globalization. Have this regionalization for the for the next uh, for the next five years, and because as in the 70s and the 1940s uh and in, inflation is here to stay i think that has profound implications for uh for capital markets and for what in in what we should invest And it, it's people have to get less with um with with tougher times with with less uh with the capital markets being more unkind mm-hmm. in the next 5 years
0: so uh, and what's um next for you personally
1: next for me personally uh more of the same uh you know, uh, building our business at Arlington with my partner Charlie, who's uh, who's a dear friend and a and a and a professional partner for life. Um, uh we have just bought a house in Italy so we'd we'll be spending more time in Italy nice. and longer term it's nice to be back here in Sydney I'd like to spend more time here even though it's a bit grand rainy today
0: yeah shame about the weather it's yeah. very Londonesque isn't it yeah. well we will share the Arlington group website I know you're not uh, huge uh, into social media or anything like that no. uh, is there anywhere else we can find you online
1: I think come through uh, my work website uh Arlington Group Asset Management in London. So the website is agamformother.co.uk
0: Perfect. Okay, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Thanks, Simon.